Okay, we're getting into part three of the series on the book of Romans. And while you're passing them out, let me share a little bit. The next three chapters, Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8, we are dedicating uh, uh, individual studies on them. The, uh, I'll, I'll take you a little of an overview. But since we've started the series, we have gone through chapters 1, 2, and 3. That was, the, that was part 1. Part 2 was chapters 3, 4, and 5 as they overlapped each other. But now part 3 in this series is chapter 6. Part 4 in this series is uh, chapter 7. And part 5 in this series is chapter 8. We're dedicating a whole outline to each individual chapter because they are uh, th- that's how important these three chapters are. Matter of fact, there's many Bible scholars that say the entire understanding of the gospel of grace, the gospel of hope that we have in Jesus Christ can be found in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this and really scrutinizing it. And as always, we're going to spend a lot of time getting into God's Word. Because folks, can I tell you something? Anything that I have to say is worth nothing. Everything God has to say is worth something. Okay, so that's why we... That's why we do everything we do out of God's Word, okay? So uh, if you would just grab a hold of this, uh, I'm going to start, okay? Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your guidance and your direction in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. okay. I want you to look at the front of your cover of, this, of the outline, and I want you to look at the verse that I have... Uh, quoted there in uh, the cover. It's the 16th verse of chapter 6. And look what it says. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, that's whose servants you are. You hear what it's saying? Look what it says here. Whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Know ye not whom you yield yourself servant to obey. After you get saved, who's in charge of your life? Okay? God is the oversight of your life. But you're still in charge of it. You're the one that yields yourself to righteousness or unrighteousness. You're the one that yields yourself to Right standing with God, which is what righteous means, or unrighteousness, which means wrong standing with God. You yield yourself. How many people know people that talk a great talk, but they walk a lousy walk? They call themselves Christian, but if they were put on trial for being a Christian, you'd have hard-pressed to find enough evidence to convict them. How many know people like that? How many are people like that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I probably I knew I'd get a couple hands raised up. That's me. But think about it. We, I, I'm doing a series on Sunday morning. If you've been missing the series, you do not want to miss this Sunday because I'm going to bring together the whole part of this series that was doing with how to find a vision, how to develop a vision. And this week I'm going to talk about how do you put legs to that vision. Okay? You found it. You looked at it. Or you haven't found it yet, but this Sunday I'm going to help you try to pinpoint it. And then we're going to put legs to it. Okay, to where you can start living the call of God in your life. 
Uh, and so I've been talking about that, but I, I, made, I made a statement, and I've made a statement through this whole series. Life is a journey. Life is a journey. But you have the map. You have the map. You see, if you're a Christian and you're truly living for God, the destination's secure. Okay, it doesn't mean you cannot turn away. Why? Because you are the one that's in the driver's seat. You're the one driving the thing. Okay? Know ye not to whom you yield yourself servants to obey. That's whose servant you are. Whether of sin... Uh, you mean a Christian can yield his life to sin? Bet your sweet bippy you can. Don't ask me what a sweet bippy is. I don't have a no. I don't have a clue. But it's, it's something. Okay? Okay. Danny says, I thought God was in the driver's seat after you're saved. Is he? Huh? If you let him, you see, once again, you have the road map. Okay? We've got... Oh, this didn't get cleaned. I'm sorry about that. We... Okay, you've got, you've got this road. Here's, here's, here's salvation... Here's salvation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Here's salvation. And here's heaven. Which is, because of rhyming, we'll say destination. Okay? This is where, uh, this is heaven, our destination. And this is the commitment. Because you see, that's what salvation actually is, is commitment. That's why God likens salvation to a marriage. The same commitment I make to my wife, the, the hearse make to each other, you know, the, the, uh, the Osorios make to each other, the weavers make to that same commitment, that's the same. Okay, so it's the same. It's the same as the dedication we have to a wife or a husband. If you tell your wife that you love her and you married to her, you're committed to her, you're dedicated to her, but she doesn't see you but once every six months. Not because of a job, not because of that. It's because you're out carousing everywhere. How many think that wife or that husband's going to wonder if you really love them? Am I, am I making a mistake? Thank you. Is that a wrong way of looking at it? Okay, so let me ask you. Why is it that we think God has any desire to come to our house if we have no desire to come to His house? Why do we think that... I mean, God loves us. He wants to be there for us. But if we never come home, does that make sense? Okay? And so this is what we have to understand. So we have... Life is a journey. Okay? Life is a journey. I'm not going to write it down there because I've got to write other stuff up there. Okay? But this is our destination. 
We have the roadmap. I got one right here. Thank you. Okay, we have the roadmap. I got to get some new markers and new stuff. I keep saying that because people that that can do this, I just keep reminding them so they could do it for me because I keep forgetting. Okay, so there's our roadmap. Guess what? We could take heaven as a straight line. That's by an unequivocal, no compromise. Let me just say it without offending anybody. Come hell or high water commitment. I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what. I, this is this. Thank you. Is that a better one? Okay, I'll trade you. Is this permanent or is this erasable? Okay, this, better not, this might be permanent. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> thank you. If we have some nicer... Um, okay, so we could do... This is what I call the Galatians 2.20. This is the Galatians 2.20 trip. How many remember what Galatians 2.20 says? I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live according to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I had a wonderful blessing. I was out at the, at the camp meeting in, in West Canyon Diablo and... Uh, my friend, Ed Scott, got up there and read the passage in Navajo. I recorded it. I'm trying to get it put on Facebook, but I don't know how to. So I've got to give it to my, my Facebook guru here who knows how to get it there. But he did it in Navajo, and I said, man, how cool would it be to put Galatians 2.20 on Facebook in Navajo? Because we've got so many of our, our native brothers and sisters that need to make that commitment. Okay. So Galatians, this is what I call the Galatians 2.20 trip on the, on the map. That's a straight line. But we hold the road map. How many know that we like to, to go to Devil's Canyon? Oh, it's just a little tourist stop. But it's not because of the tourist stop. It's just because we don't want to live like an angel that day. Okay, no, I'm talking to myself. Don't get offended. Okay, I'm, just, I'm talking about me. Just pretend like nobody's here but me. You know, and while we're out there, you know, we kind of do a little carousing and, well, God, you understand. And you know, it was a pretty nice shot out there. Even though God knew exactly where he was going, he let you go do it. Let's call it the Luke 15 journey. I need a better marker. Honey, honey Pastor Honey, this, well, here's a green one. It's, it's dead too. Bob, will you throw that away for me? So I ought to stop using it. Okay. Let's call that the Luke. That kind of works. Luke 15 journey. What is the Luke 15 journey? The prodigal son. Okay? The father didn't stop him, did he? The father gave him everything he wanted. Father loves him. Okay, son, well, it's yours. Here, take it. Go for it. And he said he just, he just caroused and did his whole life with it. You see, life is a journey, but we have the roadmap. We're the ones taking the directions. That's okay. Go ahead, Danny. What's the question? Oh, but hey, we're going to get to the same destination. It's just when we take the Luke 15 journey, this is what our roadmap looks like now. 
up and down and in and out. And, I mean, that, but that's, very, that's a very good statement. Not a, not a problem. But you see, we're the ones, even though God wants to be in control of our life, like Steve just said, even though God wants to be in control of our life, God said, it's your will. You see, we can do that. We can be... Okay, this one it was kind of working. I'll, I'll save that one for a little bit. So maybe we got a, a good one here. Okay? But do you see the picture here? Life is a journey, but we have the roadmap. And this is what Luke, Ch- or John, what book are we in? Romans. This is what Romans 6, 7, and 8 is going to do. It's going to help us leave the Luke 15 journey. It's going to help us to leave the around the mountain 40 years journey. It's going to help us to leave the, the James 4, 7 journey. He that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Now, once again, I said this all applies to me. Nobody in here. So nobody take it personal. If you do take it personal, just know that every word's meant for you. Okay? But that's the thing. We can make the choice of the journey we travel. And you can still make heaven. But why would you want to go through hell to get there? Now, don't, I'm not talking about the struggles, the different normal things that you're, you and I are going to deal with. I'm talking about the things that we do. Just with a show of hands. How many since you have been a Christian purposely sinned? Danny just talked about driving 70 miles an hour and the speed limit is 60. How many think that's wrong? How many think we should turn Danny in let the cops know where he's driving? (laughs) Poor Danny. But think about it for a second. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But there's a purposefulness of sin that if we continue, we're going to get ourselves in bad shape because our heart starts to get harder and harder and harder that no longer does the conviction of God make a difference in our lives. He's still convicting. He's still drawing. It's just we're not feeling anymore. We're not sensing anymore. You okay? Uh, Amelia. Mm-hmm. Well, you're talking about there's several different passages where God hardened Pharaoh's heart, where God hardened the heart of a person. People say, well, that's so... I mean, God did that. Why do you think God did that? Because God already knew his decision. You see, if you want to go sin, God ain't going to stop you. And if you chose and choose to deliberately sin willfully, we talked about it a few weeks ago, after you know the truth, and God knows that your destination has been chosen, by who? Who chooses their destination? We do. God don't, and the devil can't. The devil can't. If he could choose your destination, he'd be killing people left and right. But he can't. 
Are you with me? We're the ones that make our destination. So it's our choice whether we want to do a Galatians 2.20 journey or Luke 15 or James 4 or Hebrews 6 or Hebrews 10. I mean, I could just take Scripture, 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 Scripture. The Word word of God's full of decisions you and I have to make about this. God wants you and I to do this journey. Oh, there's still going to be bumps in the road. There's still going to be bumps in the road. But God said, don't worry. Been there, done that. I could actually call this the John 16 journey also, where Jesus said, you know, in this world you're going to have problems, but in me you're going to have peace because I overcame the world. How many think even though you have some problems, if you're in Christ, the peace is going to overcome the problems? Okay, so this, this, I just want to lay this out because, because, ladies and gentlemen, too many churches won't preach this stuff. Too many churches want you to know that everything's fine, you know. Oh, poor little pocito. Is that the word? What's the Spanish word? How do you say it? Yeah, that word. Oh, poor little thing. Poor little God. I was saying it right. Why am I meaning it right? Just wrong. Saying it wrong. Okay. Folks, I have a hard enough time with English. Don't get me starting. I was going to try to do some Navajo, but I'd be in bad shape. Okay. See, that's what happens when you get close to the front. You, you get part, become part of the sermon. But, but oh, everything's going to be okay. God's going to take care of it. Jesus took care of it 2,000 years ago, and he expects us to live it now. Are you with me? Is everybody okay? Dale, remind me when you're done to talk about a snowplow. Okay? Not now. That's not part of my teaching. Okay. Our salvation is... Jesus plus nothing. Okay? There's nothing you and I can do to earn salvation. Okay? Except except Jesus Christ. It's by grace we're saved through faith. It's by grace we're saved through faith. Say it with me. It's by grace we're saved through faith. Okay? Uh, God came and gave us righteousness through His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? And by grace... The power that God gave us to overcome sin, we now, through faith, get this destination. Why? Because it's Jesus plus nothing. You'll never be good enough. Look at somebody and say, thank goodness. Okay? Jesus plus nothing. Okay? So the reality, back to your, the cover of your notes, look what it says here in the title of the, of the series. Part 3, Romans chapter 6. What does the title of this section called okay understand the christian faith that's not the title that's the series christians true christians desire to be free from sin not to sin freely but there's too many christians that want to sin freely and be okay are you okay with this is everybody with me i'm going to take you through romans 6 7 and 8 and this is going to transform your life if you will let it. It is Jesus plus nothing. Uh, it's not Jesus plus everything be, or with anything because if it was Jesus plus anything, then Jesus wouldn't be everything. Too many think that we have to do something besides accept Jesus as Lord and Savior to get to heaven. No, 
All we have to do is accept Him and live for Him. Pretty simple, okay? There's nothing else. We don't have to do penance. We don't have to, you know, uh, my wife and I were raised Catholic. We've done, it, we've done trips around the rosary so many times. We, we probably named every bead as we were going, okay? You don't have to do that. You don't have to do indulgences. You don't have to do whatever all the other religions say. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what it is, okay? And so when you give your life to Christ, all He expects you to do is live for Him. When you give your life to your wife, when you give your life to your husband, they expect you to do what your vows said. Okay? Same thing with Jesus. Same thing with Jesus. Okay? So, uh, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, very simply declares we are either dead to sin and alive to God or we're dead to God and alive to sin. You cannot be both. You cannot be both. Paul wrote this epistle to the Christians at Rome. And in this epistle, 6, 7, and 8, literally sets forth the whole of the gospel message. Romans is a very well organized and reasoned discussion of the work of Christ, the Holy Spirit, and salvation, and how it operates in your life and mine. What I want to make a little note, and I left it in your, in your notes for a reason, because I want you to understand the importance of this. In the, canon, in the canonization, say that three times fast. In the canonization, that literally means the putting together of the Bible, the orchestrating of the 66 books that make up the Bible. The word Bible simply means book of books. Okay? That's all it means. That's why they can have mechanics Bibles. They can have all kinds of Bibles. Okay? This is the Holy Bible. Okay? Because it's a compilation of Scripture that is God-ordained and written by God through man. But look at this. In the canonization of the, of the entirety of Genesis to Revelation, did you know the very first book that was canonized? It's the book of Romans. The very first book that was canonized was the book of Romans. It became the standard that many of the passages of Scripture were compared to. This book that Paul the Apostle, through the Holy Spirit, penned, through his scribes, penned for the entire Bible. This became the first book in the canonization of the Bibles. Very well, it could have been because of Paul's pedigree. We read Paul's pedigree a couple weeks ago, how Paul said, you know, uh, you know I, I'm a Jew of Jews. I mean, I, I'm from the, ban- the branch of David. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. He, he gave us a pedigree that you sit back and think, my goodness, who in the world could be more godly than Paul? Yet, in chapter 7, he says this of himself, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul. Think about that. Don't go to sleep on me, brother, please. Think about it. Paul the Apostle. I mean, I'd put him right up there. And he said those words, O wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? Rhetorical question, because he answers, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, that I'm delivered, that I'm saved, that I'm set free. 
Paul, his pedigree, his, his religious structure, which is a word that many of us know coming from religious backgrounds, his catechism is probably far beyond just about anybody's but the Lord himself. And it could very well be because of this background of Paul, this pedigree, if you will, that it was he who the Lord chose as the catalyst to teach the message of grace because he knew the law so well. He knew work so well. He knew the restrictive measures of the old covenant that Paul could understand that it could not be the law or works that could save or change. It had to be grace. Martin Luther, who was the, the progenitor, if you will, of the Protestant movement, okay? And I always love to just clarify these simple words. You're, you're either, you're one of two things. It doesn't matter what religion you are. If you're not Catholic, you're Protestant, okay? That's just basically what it is, okay? Now, I'm not talking about Buddhism. I'm not talking about Zen, and I'm not talking about all that junk, but, uh, you know, and I say that word very purposely, junk. But uh, if you're not Catholic, you're Protestant, the word Protestant just means to protest. In 95 Theses, nailed to the, the door at Wittenberg, is that where it was? Or one of those burgs over in Germany? He protested. 95 thoughts that he wrote down. Martin Luther, sorry, Martin Luther, thank you. Martin Luther, okay? Lutheranism, we, we get from Martin Luther. Uh, Methodism, uh, John Wesley followed suit. Okay, different things like that. But Martin Luther protested that we have the Protestants. Okay, Catholics and Protestants, that's what you have. So he, he sat down and he protested the, uh, the uh, whole message of the Catholic Church. And it was in the book of Romans where he found that the scripture says, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Catholicism is based on works. Okay? And so he protested, and uh, they actually spent years trying to kill him, and they couldn't kill him. Uh, interesting stuff. Okay? It was Paul, back in your notes, and then we're going to get to a lot of scripture. Okay? It was Paul that began to help the other apostles learn that it wasn't about circumcision, it wasn't about other aspects of the law, but it was about grace. It was Paul that revolutionized Peter's life, that Peter could have a vision from God about a Gentile by the name of Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. Many people think it's the same Roman centurion that talked to Jesus about his sick servant. And that Peter, uh, God gave him a vision about a sheet coming down from heaven. And Peter said, I, 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 I'm, I can't touch anything unclean. I can't touch anything uncommon. And God said, what are you saying? Am I making unclean things? You're calling common the things I do? And then through that vision, God led him to the house of Cornelius. Okay? But it was Paul's giving them the understanding of Christ and him crucified. He taught that there was nothing but Jesus that was hope of our salvation. There was nothing we could or needed to add that it was Jesus Christ and him alone. And when Jesus at a place called Calvary, he stood up there and he said these words, Tetelase, 
Aramaic for it is finished. It is finished. When he said that, he said the middle wall of partition is broken down. It's going to be Jesus fulfilled from Isaiah, God with us, Emmanuel. Are you okay? Okay. Any questions about what I've scribbled up here, talked about so far? Anybody learned a whole bunch of stuff already? Good. I'm glad. Okay? So we're the ones that are governing this, this journey that we're on. Jesus paid the price, but he said it's up to us how we get there. Okay? Through Christ alone. Romans 1 through 3, we've talked about uh, just basically how bad can life get. And we talked about how it's really bad. Okay? We're, we're sinners uh, that uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not a single one that seeks after God. In fact, Paul tells all of us, as bad as it is, without God, life just keeps getting worse. And the end is what? The end is without Christ. Well, everybody dies. The end without Christ is hell. That's right. We think hell on earth? No, no, no. Nothing. Read the Bible. It's very clear on the passages of hell. Uh, part two, we got into Romans 3 through 5. And trying to be good enough doesn't quite cut it. We can be the most religious person in the whole world. We can try to obey God's laws. The problem is, sooner or later, we're going to mess up. And the Bible says if we mess up in one, we're guilty of all. We only can become good by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? So let me give you a little, one more little picture word here. All of us are trying to be good enough. Okay? But look what happens when you take God out of good. What do you have left? Absolutely nothing. You take God out of good, you got nothing. And that's what your life is. That's what my life is without Christ. Absolutely zero. Are you okay? So tonight we're going to jump into Romans chapter 6. But to get there, we're going to take a little journey. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, Pastor Honey, my, my dear, wonderful, awesome wife, would you read that for me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I need... Uh, 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 I need... Uh, uh, Loretta's husband uh, Ed please if you'll give me Galatians 2.20 but I need somebody with a real good strong reading voice thank you Jack Klaus for volunteering um, James chapter 4 uh, if that's Jesus calling you can answer if not just go ahead and turn it off don't worry folks my humor does get better I got three cups of cold coffee. <laughs> that means I've been talking too much. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. My wife's going to read that. And I want you to listen to it. Remember, we're talking about Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jonathan, good to see you. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We're saved by grace through faith. Say that with me. We're saved by grace through faith. 
Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. You need to write it on your notes. You need to go memorize that, along with Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, along with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, along with Titus chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, you, you just need to put these scriptures and remember them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Go ahead and read. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so who did God make sin? Jesus. God made him, Jesus, to become sin for us. Here, uh, a few, quite a while back, I taught, I taught about the propitiation. Okay, that he became the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That means the satisfactory uh, a payment is what propitiation means. Okay? And in becoming the propitiation, he expiated our sin. What he did, what that literally means, he made it as if it never existed. Paid for completely, washed away. Okay? So in this, the Bible teaches in that one passage in Second Corinthians, God made Jesus to become sin. Why did Jesus have to become sin? Why did Jesus have to become sin? Because why? Because He was the Lamb of God, He was perfect. That's true. Why did He have to become sin? All the way in the back? Yeah, hold, take the mic to Him. What's your name, brother? name thing on what's your name uh, Arnold Arnold pleasure because Welcome. thank you he was he became sin so that he could defeat sin on the cross for he, us he became sin that he could defeat sin on the cross but how did he become sin why couldn't you become sin because he lived a perfect life okay a lot of people say well that was Jesus you know he's God okay once again, we've talked about this many times. What made Jesus different from God? He was in the, He took on man. He released His divinity. Okay? People say, well, how the heck did He do that? Folks, I don't know physiologically how it happened. But the Bible says He separated His divinity and walked the earth completely as man. Why was that important? So he could face all the temptations. That he could face all the temptations. Let me give you just for sake of time. My Lord, look at the time. The Bible says that God cannot be tempted with evil. Yet Hebrews chapter 4 says he was tempted in every area as we are yet without sin. So if he did not separate himself, separate his divinity from his humanity, he could not have been tempted. And he could not have become sin for us. So at Calvary, most scholars believe, your pastor included, that when Jesus said these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was when the sin of mankind was placed upon Jesus. And he felt the weight of the world. And it was momentarily later that he said, 
it is finished. He became sin, as Arnold said. He became sin, as others have inferred. Okay? And then the Bible says he gave up the ghost, and then it records that he spent three days in the lower parts of the earth. He became sin, listen, to remove sin. Look at your notes again. True Christians. True Christians. What's it say? True Christians. Go ahead and read it, Bob. They desire to be free from sin, not to sin freely. They desire to be free from sin. Jesus Christ has come to set the captive free, to set us free from sin. Amelia. When you said that, when you said that, it was very sobering, just the weight of the world on him. Yep. And I, what, and I was wondering what that must What yeah. it must feel like? Yeah, and I was immediately thought it might be like that journey when we're way down there on that Galatians 2.20, Luke 15 walk, like just feeling like just dark and yeah. not having any victory and just... Well, in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, the Bible says he tasted death for all of us. What is the death he tasted? All of this is pertinent to Romans 6, 7, and 8. That's why I'm spending so much time here. It was the first time he'd ever been separated. You see, what death, when the Bible talks about death, it's talking about two types of death, physical and spiritual. Physical death is when you leave this life. Spiritual death is when you leave God's presence. See, David said, I can go to heaven, and you're there. I can make my bed in hell, and you're there. No matter where I'm at, God, you are. But God's only moving on behalf of his kids. That's why there's so much junk happening in the world. Why is there so much sin in the world? Because people choose to live in sin. They make choices. Well, God's there. God could do something. Yes, he could, if he was invited in. But he's not invited in. Are you okay? Okay, so the reality is we're the ones with the roadmap. We're the ones making the choices. God would love for you just to say, yet not I. The life that I now live, I'm going to live committed to Jesus Christ. Problems, yep. Afflictions, yep. Difficulties, yep. But Jesus is going to deliver me out of every one as long as I stay the course. Okay, so he became sin for us. God made him. We're still at 2 Corinthians chapter Chapter, two, uh, chapter 5, verse 21. For God made him to become sin, listen to this, who knew no sin. Once again, back to what Arnold said. He lived a perfect life. Somebody else said he lived a perfect life, okay? God made him, Jesus, to become sin, who knew no sin. That we, that we, let me say this, who knew no righteousness, we that were out of right relationship with God could become the righteousness of God, listen to this, in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? When Jesus Christ is the captain of our ship, we are in Christ Jesus, and in Christ Jesus we become righteous. It is Jesus plus nothing that gets us to heaven. Our righteousness is because of Jesus Christ and nobody else. Amen? Yes, I just want to point out that that scripture says that we might become the righteousness of God because we have a choice. It's our roadmap. Yep. It's our roadmap. Okay? So, let's jump into this thing. Once again, uh, 
here's the picture of Romans 6, 7, and 8. I'm just going to put it in a nutshell. I left it in your notes. Okay, do you have it in front of you there? Look what it says about Romans 6. Romans 6 says, we're dead to sin. That's what the book of Romans chapter 6 is completely about. Helping us understand we're dead to sin. We've got to make a choice about this death. Romans chapter 7 makes us understand that we're dead to the law. Okay, what does that mean? I left it in your notes. Or our human efforts or trying to legitimize our relationship with God through religious works. It doesn't work. We're dead to sin because Jesus Christ took the sin for us. We're dead to human efforts, the law, the representation, trying to get our way to heaven any other way. And this is my favorite, Romans 8. But because of Christ, we're alive in the Spirit. We're alive in the Spirit. So real quick, and for sake of time, I'm going to take... Uh, some time here. I believe Romans 7 and 8 are the two most important discourses in the entirety of Scripture that affects and makes us to understand how to see and live the Christian life. Okay? So I start out with Roman numeral number one. Though grace is sufficient, it is never an excuse to keep sinning. Well, God understands. I can't tell you how many people have come to me over the years and decided they wanted to live in sin. Oh, God understands my flesh is weak. He does. That's why he hung his flesh on Calvary and paid the price. That you could be strong in him. Okay? Well, God understands. You know, we got we to gotta see if this, this, this relationship's going to work between me and her or her and me. And, and oh, so we need to live together just to make sure it's all compatible. Can I tell you something, ladies? I love you. Well, that's one of the stupidest things you could ever do. Amen. Why buy the milk when the cow's free? I know that's bad to think about, but why? I, you know, folks, I'm a pretty straightforward preacher. Arnold, first time with us tonight. Oh yeah, okay. I got. Oh, that's right. Why? 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 Why buy the 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 cow when the milk's free? That's right. See, Arnold knew it. He said, "Oh, you got it backwards." Okay. Arnold, our church is never surprised at what the pastor says. They'd be more surprised if they knew what I wasn't saying. Okay, but the truth is, ladies, why? You are the most, you know what God calls you? The prized possession. Do you know the Bible says the man who finds a wife finds a good thing? It, and obtains favor. Thank you for finishing it. And obtains favor. Guys, nothing personal, but he never said the woman who finds a husband found a good thing. That's not in the scriptures. Pastor Ray, I'm sorry. It's not in the scriptures. But he says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor from God. So ladies, why lower yourself? I just, you know, and you say, Pastor, you don't understand. Sure I do. My daughter did the same thing. My son did the same thing. My other son did the same thing. I'm not thinking my other daughter did it, but I don't know for sure. You want to slap him upside the head? Don't look at me like that because most of you did too. But why? God has so much. But the picture here, God's grace does not give us the excuse to keep sinning. So we're going to spend the next few minutes reading two portions of Scripture. James or Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Ed, read that for us. 
Read it. Are you going to read it in Navajo? No. Do you have it? Yeah. Okay. Well, read it in first. English first and then read it in Navajo. It sounds so cool in Navajo. So I'm going to have him read it in Navajo for us as soon as he reads uh, it in English. Okay, here we go. Okay? Galatians chapter 2. You got your Bibles? Turn there. If you mark in your Bibles, mark that scripture. If you mark in your, it's not even in your outline, just write it in your notes. Oh, did I put it in there? Oh, good. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I did. I put it down. I did put it down lower, but I'm jumping up ahead of it. Thank you. I was, yeah. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Go ahead, Ed. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, we spent a lot of time on that last time. Paul has just given the whole picture of our lives. He said, I'm crucified. I'm dead. Remember Romans 6? Talking about being dead. We're dead to sin. We're dead to this world. We're dead to this life. Okay? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Okay? He said that I'm still very much alive. What, I'm say- what he's saying is my flesh still wants to be in control. But then he said, it's no longer I. The life that I now live, it's going to be Christ in me. It's going to be according to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Read it for us in Navajo, would you, Ed? Doesn't that sound so cool? I just, you know, I want to get that on Facebook. I don't know how to, Bob, so help us to get it on Facebook. Okay? I recorded him doing that. Uh, so now what I want to do is, because, because Jack so graciously offered to read, uh, uh, actually I always put him on the spot, James chapter 4. We're going to use this kind of as a flagship. I, I may go back to it a few times while I'm in Romans 6. But I want you to hear the scripture as Jack goes on. I'm going to stop him a few times along the way. There's only, you know, there's only, what, 17 verses? Is that what it is, Jack, something like that? Okay. And so it's a very short chapter. But it's the epitome of why you and I deal with things in this flesh so much. And it correlates so much with Romans 6. When I was uh, home this afternoon studying my notes and stuff, God has been doing this every week. He's, he's pulling this whole book out and says, talk about this, because this has to do with that. So James chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, it's not in your notes, but write it down. I don't think it's in your notes. I James chapter 4, and listen to it as you read. What version, Jack, are you reading? NIV. New, New International Version, okay? Yeah, the whole chapter, just 17 verses. Go ahead, Jack. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Okay, stop. What's the very first thing he says? Why are you dealing with issues in this life? Look at God. You know, we want to blame the devil. See, this, this, these next three, ver- three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, that's going to change your life. You're going to sit back and say, I've been blaming the devil all the time, but it's really that devil that's standing in my mirror. Are you with me? Where do these fights and quarrels come above you, from you uh, 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 that, that are happening with you? Is it not because of your own desires? 
See, God puts it right back to where we need to understand. It ain't your wife, gentlemen. And ladies, it isn't your husband. It's not your boss. It's not your workers. God says, when you got issues, the first place to look is where? The mirror. Okay? So start again, Jack, and I'll let you go at least to the second verse. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Okay, stop there. Is he say you actually kill somebody because you don't get what you want? How do you kill people? You hate them. You get bitter with them. You cut them off. You cold shoulder them. And then... You still don't get what you want, and you covet. You know what coveting means? I just put things in real simple terms. You know what coveting means? Bob has something, and Bob has something else, and Bob has something else. I'm okay until Bob has something I don't have. Yeah, Bob has lots of tools. But I'm not coveting his tools unless he tells me I can't use them. Okay, but think of, okay, but look at this. Look at this. Bob, Bob lives next door to me, so I get to pick on him a lot. Okay? Covetous, all that means is I don't, it doesn't matter that you have things until you have something I want. That's why the Bible says do not covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's horse, your neighbor's car, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's Chihuahua. chihuahuas. <laughs> Okay, yeah, leave Bella out of this, okay? Leave Bella out of this. <laughs> Little Bella loves me, okay? Okay, but that's what it says. You fight and kill, you have a, you know, what is the problem? Continue on, Jack. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Okay, so stop there. What's God say the first problem is? You're trying to do it yourself. You're trying to do it yourself. Remember what we just talked about throughout the, the scriptures that we do? We can't earn anything. There's nothing in and of ourselves that's any good. Once again, what happens when you take, when you take God out of good? What do you have left? There's nothing we can do without God. Without me, he said, you can do nothing. But through me, you can do Okay? He said, the first problem is you don't ask me. Well, but I'm asking God. The second problem is you have the wrong motives. So what do we do? We're going right back to that trying to do it my own. Trying to earn it myself. Trying to be good enough. Trying to be that. Is all this making sense tonight? Okay. Romans chapter 6 is going to be revelation, uh, revolutionary to your life. If you will let it. Okay. Jonathan, real quick. Did you have a question? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Jack, continue on. You do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you might spend them on your own pleasures. You adulterate. What, what, what is the reason? What's it say, Jack? You can do what? Hold on a second here. That you may spend them on what on to get your own pleasures. You remember this Luke 15 journey? What was the prodigal son's problem? His own pleasures. He said, I want what I want. 
This is the James Ford journey. That's where we're on. Same thing. Okay? Continue on, Jack. Verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means ill will against God? Okay, stop right there. You adulterous people, what does that mean? I want you to understand this passage. I want you to understand this. This is so critical to Romans 6. What does it mean, you adulterous people? He answers it right after that. What is it? You have two loves. You adulterous people. Don't you know that trying to love the world and love me, you can't do? Matthew said you can't have two masters. I remember my kids growing up. My daughter, very quick-witted. Me and my wife, guess what our last name is? Masters. My daughter came to us one day and said, Dad, I know my problem. I've been trying to serve two masters. Some of you will catch that when you leave tonight. Go ahead, Jack. What does it mean to be in love with the world? What does it mean to be in love with the world? Great question. What's it mean? Okay. You're reading it. The pleasures of life more than the pleasures of God. In other words, all I want is to get more, do more, be more, have more, so that I am more. And you know what God wants you to be? He wants you to be home with Him. The world... I'm sorry, go ahead, Jack. No, seriously. Oh, no. Okay, no. When, 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 when Patty says, no, okay, I won't even ask. Okay, okay. But that's what it is. Remember what I shared with you guys a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago? Remember, the Bible says that we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in the flesh, in a body. Okay? Our spirit wants to take us straight to heaven. Our soul wants to take us straight to hell. That fleshly part, that desirous part, wants to take us straight down the road. That's what it's talking about. You let the pleasures of life. Uh, I'll get Bill. Uh, Proverbs 27 says, Hell and destruction are never full, just like the eyes of man are never satisfied. That's what it means to love the world. You're going after everything, and guess what? You're working a second job that happens to take you on Sunday. Why? Because making more money is more important than God. You're doing this other thing because, you know, and you're not praying, you're not reading, you're not doing anything. Why? Because these other things are more important than God. It goes on here. It'll break it down pretty quickly. Okay? It's called idolatry. And that first letter I is there for a reason. Okay? Anything that's an idol separates us from God. The love of the world becomes the idol. Your wife can be an idol, your husband, your children, your job, your car. Your God has no problem with you having things. God has a problem with things having you. Are you okay? Okay. Continue on, Jack. Did that answer the question about loving the world? Okay, Bill, you had a statement, though. It's the motives, right. It's not the th- God has no problem with us having things. He has a problem with things having us. Okay. Continue on, Jack. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scriptures say without reason that he is jealously longs for the spirit that, it has, that he has caused to dwell within us? But he gives us more, more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But but you, who are, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say to now listen, to you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or to that and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Pretty clear, isn't it? We have run out of time, but we'll get into depths in depth of James 4 next week. Like I said, it's very pertinent to Romans 6. Okay, But once again, we leave you with this. What does God say? Don't go out and say, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, this. What we should say, God, what's your plan? What's your plan? Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for guiding us tonight. And Lord, help us, God, to understand.